Do we have workers' comp? No. <laughs> <laughs> Today's readings are 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 9 through 13, Matthew chapter 8, 18 to 20, and Deuteronomy 6, 10 to 13. They can be found on pages 1054, 896, and 169 of the Bibles next to your seats, and not on the screen today. Um, this is God's word. First Corinthians, for it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Let me give you the right reading. Oh. <laughs> Okay. We just got a preview of next week. Oh. Well, <laughs> this is shorter. Genesis 1, 31, 2 and 3. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Matthew eleven, twenty-five to 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses, chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Karen. All right. Because of the nature of the topic, um, we'll start with a prayer that is more um, in line with what we're talking about. So this will involve a little bit of silence, directed meditative silence, as we prepare ourselves um, for what God might be 
looking to say and do in our lives. So I invite you to kind of pay attention to your body and get comfortable and in a still position that you can hold for a few minutes. And as we look to declench the muscles of our mind, I invite you to close your eyes. And as you close your eyes now, I'd, I invite you to, um, since, since the machinery of our lives pulls on our mind and our thoughts, I invite you to step away from that by just focusing on your breath and take a few deep breaths. This will force you away from what usually is driving our obsessive thoughts. Take a few deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth. As we rest in silence, we think of how the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. We surrender all of our doing and pushing and striving, the white knuckling of our lives. Mother Teresa said, it is in the silence that God speaks. And God, now that we have tried to set ourselves aside with this silence, we pray that we're also, by your help, opening up our hearts. And through what happens next, that you would help us. That you would facilitate a kind of soul rest. We are more loved than we ever imagined in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. And we're acutely aware that we walk around more of a mess than we care to admit to those around us. Sometimes even, especially when we come to church. We'd prefer not to peel back the layers and be vulnerable. But because your love is so great and we are definitively loved through Jesus, finally our souls can find safety to stop lying and hiding the inadequacies of our own lives and journeys. 
and we find ourselves as broken hearts held safely by a loving and forgiving God. More than anything, let that seep in today as we transition to words and listening now. Amen. Uh, we'll, we'll have a little, a brief treatment here on rest. Rest. The question of the week that we asked last week was how many naps have you taken this year? Somebody just, when we were walking in, somebody referenced kind of their life and they said, you know, that's how this year has been. We're at kind of a point where we're, we can look at the year and we have enough of a sample to say, what's your year been like? So how many naps have you taken this year? Someone right away said zero. <laughs> Someone else, and I know who this is, I'm 99% sure, they said so many, sometimes twice in one day, at least 100. Wow. Katie Amadio, who struggles with chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. That sounds like the way Katie would respond to that. Um, someone said, not as many as my kid, but the only thing better than me taking a nap is him taking a nap. <laughs> someone else said, far too few. Naps are a delicious indulgence. I sneak in as often as possible in this crazy, chaotic world. They renew and restore my soul. That's like, if you want to know what I'm going to talk about now for about 10 minutes, that is a, the summary of what I'm about to talk about. And then someone else said zero again. If the sun is awake, I am awake. But then there's this emoji, this tear emoji <laughs> behind that one. Mm, yeah. Rest is um, an afterthought. That's where we find ourselves now. Rest is an afterthought. And we almost, as a culture, as a community, we almost pride ourselves in our grabbing hold of time as if it's a um, tool to leverage in order to consume more or accomplish more or control more. And Judith Shulevitz in... The, in uh, the New York Times in 2003, she wrote this article called Bring Back the Sabbath. She has some great quotes. I think I have two of them that I'm going to share with you. She says, after hours has become a strictly personal concept since the 24-hour convenience store, gas station, pharmacy, supermarket, movie theater, diner, factory, and bar all allow us to work, shop, dine, and be entertained at any time of day and night. We greet each shift of an activity from weekday to week to evening or weekend as proof of the American cultural superiority. And then she says, we knock over the barriers between us and the perpetual motion machine that is the marketplace with the glee you might expect of insomniacs who had been chained for too long to their beds. I mean, I don't, 
I don't know how to unpack all of what she's saying there, but that's imagery of that glee of insomniacs shackled to their beds. It just, it just speaks to kind of the, almost the wrongness of how we approach time. And it leaves rest as an afterthought. We're the only creature on this planet that openly and intentionally defies our natural bodily rhythms of restoring ourselves to be able to live a good life. We, we purposefully circumvent those things in order for other things. You know, bears, what do they do? They hibernate. There's never a bear that decided not to hibernate. You know, I could, but I got a lot of honey to go find. Turtles hibernate. I didn't know this until uh, we, we, we moved into where we live now, and six months later, a turtle is just in our yard because the last people had a turtle, and they didn't know turtles hibernated. And so they left and moved away, and then they wondered, where did our turtle go? Turtles hibernate. Dolphins sleep, but they sleep with half their brain at a time so that they can be alert to predators in the water. We do both halves. And carp, I was talking to somebody who has a carp pond, koi pond. Koi are a kind of carp. And they, in the winter, when it gets cold, they just go down to the bottom and their metabolism kind of shifts. They stop eating and they just wait out the cold temperatures. But we defy it. We say, you know what? I can push it a little farther. I can, you know, cram a little more in. I can get a little extra work going. Of course, as um, Jake and I at the retreat, we were talking last night, and Jake was saying, like, the evidence is all there. We know that it doesn't work that way, where you put in longer hours and you're more productive. It's the science is there. You're less productive. You actually need to stop in order to get more productive again. You need to give yourself a break. But we don't care. We just keep pushing forward, adding on. We defy it. And that's, in a way, that's something about our spiritual, we're spiritual beings that have this unique relationship with God in a sense where God makes us um, the Bible would talk about it as in his image. We're made in a way that we're, we have that spiritual depth where we can obey, you might say. Not, not a exciting language in today's culture. You can obey the natural rhythms or you can disobey the natural rhythms that God has placed in your life because we have that sort of spiritual relationship with God made in his image. Of course, God, what, is, what does God do? He He works, and then as that passage says, he rested on the seventh day. So we defy it. Um, And God at one point is, you know, God's calling out to his people throughout Scripture to, um, not out of some kind of crazy rule that he's mad about, like he needs us to rest in order for things to work correctly for him. It seems mostly just as a gift to us. He says in Isaiah 58, verse um, 13 and 14, if you call the Sabbath a delight, and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of the land of your father Jacob. 
You know, it's like this just delight in this, and it leads to joy, and it leads to feasting, and it leads to triumph in writing on that triumph. I mean, it's, it's so evocative. It's so good. It's so wonderful for us. God pleads with us, pleads with us to enjoy it, enter into it, but we're spiritual beings. We have a choice, and so we go, and we go, and we go, and we end up feeling we come in at a, on a Sunday sometimes, and this is the, first, any, this is the closest thing to a pause or a silence or just a moment for some of us in a whole week. That's why I think I'm starting to incorporate more of these silent, reflective moments into our service. We've always had this moment of confession, but it's like it's not enough. We were up at this retreat, and it's uh, run by Quakers, and the woman came and gave us an introduction. She said, and on Sunday, we're having our church, and at 10 o'clock, you're welcome to come. What we do is an hour of silence to listen to God. An hour? Man. Yesterday, we, a couple times in the day, we spent 20 minutes in silence. Call it centering prayer. An hour. Because we're spread too thin. Bilbo Baggins said, it's like, I feel like too little butter spread over too much toast. And we feel that as we come in. We say things like, I need a drink. Do you? You know, we, or, or we feel like we need to get lost in the arms of someone we barely know. Or we need to go out and spend money. Or we need some kind of release. Or we need some kind of adrenaline junkie adventure. Or we need to veg out for a couple of hours on social media or watching a show. I'm not judgmental about this. I've spent like most of the last 15 years being that I need a drink person, like just a coping mechanism. I have four kids, you know, I've, yeah, I didn't expect that response, but yeah, <laughs> it's legit. Um, and, you know, and, and at the same time, we were bringing these little children into our lives, we were starting a church. Uh, that's a lot of work, and just the exhaustion, and the, so I need a drink, right? I need a drink, just to, you know what? It's not true. The things that we try, just name whatever your thing might be, they don't, they don't actually restore. They don't rest. In fact, I was reading this book that some of you have read, because it's like a bestseller. It's called Why We Sleep. And, you know, just basically pick your poison that is your, you know, your drug of choice in today's world, whether it's social media late at night, whether it's caffeine all day, or whether it's a drink at night, and just a whole bunch of the other things that our culture has, and this book will destroy it for you. And you will, you know, it will just pull the rug out from under this, whatever it is you're using to cope with too much busyness and work in your life. And so I read the chapter on alcohol, and I was just like, man... Oh, my goodness. I need a drink. You know what happens? Um, they, they did this study where they took a sample group and a, you know, a control group and another group, and the control group didn't have a drink every night, and the other group did. And what they had done is they spent a whole Saturday, basically something like learning a language on a whole Saturday, and then they tested them again a week later. And the, these numbers are close. I didn't go back and double-check this by memory, but these numbers are close. The group that had a drink every night, retention was 40%. The group that didn't was 90%. When you're sleeping, 
alcohol sedates the part of your brain that initiates your restorative sleep called REM. So, and, it, and if you have a drink today, it doesn't just do that tonight, it also dampens it tomorrow night and the night after, even if you didn't drink those nights. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? That, I need a drink. The last thing I need is a drink. I'm exhausted. And, and REM is where you get restored. And this book will just make that come alive if you're interested in how, sleep, how your brain, just the way your brain is wired to restore yourself at night in your deepest sleep, REM. It's fascinating. I was like, I'm tired. I'm, gonna, I'm done with a drink. You know, so now every once in a while I have one. I'm not legalistic about it, but it's like, I'm convinced. I'm tired. I don't, I don't want to be less, like, I don't want to be more tired, less rested. But that's exactly what all these things do. They are shortcuts in the opposite direction, which is, you know, like an oxymoron. You, you, we take something and it's a shortcut that just leads us farther back and our need for restoration is greater. That's just how we live our lives. Those are the kind of spiritual choices we are making. There's a better way. There's this book that I'm reading that gets into a lot of the inner workings of things and looks at how we live This is so common to bring it back to one of our scripture texts. This is what this writer says. This is a writer who works with a lot, like as a consultant, with a lot of people trying to address their inner spiritual wholeness that they're finding out of whack. And he says, how do we nurture the spiritual and emotional health of people long before they reach this level of internal disillusionment? How do we cultivate ways of relational care that foster spiritual well-being amidst the challenges of life Ways that result in sustainable and joyful service. You want that? And then he says this. Was Jesus giving us the straight truth when he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? He says, I regularly work with people who secretly feel this promise is out of reach. The overwhelming nature of their world has led them to conclude that such a hope-filled experience is unrealistic. Spiritually, we have to do business, and it's not going to be solved in a sermon, so sorry, you're not going to walk away fixed on this one. We have to do business with the work under the work. Where you ask questions and you start to a journey of exploration, of exploring, okay, you've got the work, you're, you know, you're putting in extra hours, you're going, 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 you're getting yourself into points of exhaustion. Why? And then you get down deeper and you start to peel away and you see the work under the work. What's the engine driving you to do this? A lot of us don't want to go there at all. We avoid it. We, I, you know, I thought I had gone there for some of my issues, and yesterday, out of the blue, we had this time that I had planned to send people out and go and journal in the woods, and, um, and I kind of thought, oh, I've got a lot on my mind. I'm planning this thing. I'm, it's probably going to be a kind of shallow journaling experience because I just got too many things in my mind, and all of a sudden, whoop, I was just doing this journaling exercise where you put the word, I want, and then I fear, and then I surrender at the top of each page, And you just spend like, you know, 
15, 20 minutes or 30 minutes on each one of those pages and just listen for what, where God's leading you. And I got into the I fear, and I just went, I just went like, oh, man. I thought, I thought I had peeled away some of this stuff. I thought I had made enough progress. I thought I was pretty good in this area. But it just was so obvious to me that, like, I've hardly begun to peel away the ways that I'm actively, every day, building a whole bunch of activities over top of a fear of failure and an anxiety and avoidance of exposure. Even to say that out loud, I'm going against those inner workings. So I'd say I'm taking a bit of a step here to say, that's me. I don't want to be exposed. I'm exposing it. Man, so much work to do. But that's the work under the work for me, and all of us have that. What's down under there? What's causing you to push so hard? Why can't you just rest and get the rejuvenation you need? We act as if someone has a gun to our head. And so I'm, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm working to craft a perfect veneer and a picture for everyone to see. That's a lot of work. Every day, going and going, the engine just keeps going. And when you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you have something inside of you that just, just answers that and guides you in a different direction. Let me read this very short quote. The gospel produces rest. Restlessness is always a sign of unbelief. Knowing the love of God sets you free to work hard with a restful heart. That's C. Jack Miller. The gospel brings your soul into rest. It gives you the key to rest. So as you're spiraling down a workaholic path, the Christian, should, you should stop and ask yourself, wait, can I rise from the dead? Is that a work I can accomplish? And if your answer is yes, then by all means, keep working. We need you. We need you to do a lot of stuff in this world. But if your answer is no, as I suspect it might, then what are you doing? And this is what I mean. I'm being a little vague by saying that, that you, as you're spiraling into your workaholic, you're just you're going and you're going, that you should say, can I rise from the dead? Because the Christian knows that every last task that, you truly need, every, every last task that God truly needs from you has been done through Jesus on the cross and in the empty tomb. That's the gospel. Every labor, every work, every task that you can imagine that God might need from you, that this world needs from you, has been accomplished by Jesus on your behalf on the cross and the empty tomb. Can you, can you rise from the dead? Can you raise other people from the dead? No? Then rest. It's okay. God can do the other stuff. It's good for us to remember that even if you are God, even if you think you're God, even if you think you can rise from the dead, Jesus rested? Jesus was taking a nap as a hurricane threatened to drown his boat. His disciples were like, enough's enough with his resting. We need you to do something. Even Jesus rested. God, God, the designer of stars and photosynthesis, takes naps. Rested on the seventh day. Why can't you? Jesus comes to restore you and give you rest. 
Let's, um, let's do just a, a brief exercise. It's a body prayer that will help us physically enter into letting God take what we tend to hold really tightly. So I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to stand. And it's kind of important. Uh, if you can stand, that's what I'd love you to do because I'm going to have you do three postures and the first goes like this and the second is about here and the last one is just up here like this. So it's kind of holding down low and then holding out and then hands up. And you're gonna, um, I'm going to walk you through those postures three separate times. Um, let's just quiet our hearts now and I invite you to close your eyes. Take a breath or two as we adjust to just being standing now and as we are aware that we are in God's presence, not alone, but together. Now I invite you to draw your attention to what we often call your heart or your inner self. And as you do that, put your hands out kind of low and just begin to bring into your consciousness who you are as a person, your name, your story, the things that as you walked from your bike or your car into this room, the things that were on your mind, whether a joy or an anxiety, a delight or an argument, a wound or a celebration. How, how do you feel about all that? Where is your soul? What are you holding about yourself this morning? As you raise your hands about shoulder height and hold them out, now we consider this. God knows all of that inward journey and all of those things that you're holding. God knows it inside and out. God knows you by name and all of yourself. He sees it with you. It's not just your private journey. God is in this journey. What's that like? That God is looking in lovingly, seeing it all. And now as you raise your hands up, what you're doing is you're acknowledging that actually God holds all of that way better than you do. And in life, you're going to need regularly to release your inner soul burdens to God. Who eagerly chuckles as he takes them into his arms. He's got no anxiety about it. God can handle it way better than you can. As painful as your inner journey may have been. And as you bring your hands back to your sides, 
I invite you now to draw your attention towards your family, your closest friends, the people in your life, such as roommates, spouse, children, parents, cousins, grandparents, people most important to you. And put your hands now, lowly, just holding these things and acknowledging the, these relationships in your life. They bring us joy. They bring us sadness, hardship, and conflict. What has been going on in the lives of those you love and in your relationship with them? How does that feel to draw your attention to those relationships? And now as you raise your hands, we acknowledge that God has been right there watching your family members, your close friends, your roommates, those people who have a special place in your heart, they have a special place in God's heart too. He sees it. He's present. He's there. God, look at this and see it. See who we hold up to you now. And actually, God, we are going to lift our hands even higher and let this be yours. We need a break. We don't have the answers. Maybe it's a hurt or maybe it's an unfixed relationship that seems deadlocked. We lift it to you. There's hope with you. You can rise from the dead. And let your hands back down. <sighs> Lastly, uh, as you raise your hands to that first position, consider your vocation. Maybe you're a full-time parent. Maybe you're a student. Maybe you're in some kind of in-between phase and that has its own characteristics and burdens. You work in a place perhaps with coworkers, some of whom bring you joy and delight. Others who are a pain in your neck. Supervisors sometimes who seem like they have such power to either make our lives miserable or to make us want to Get up in the morning and go to work. Hold your vocation, your station in life. Hold it. Look at it. Bring it into your consciousness. And realize as you raise your hands to that second position that God is there as well. Jesus walks with you amidst that. Even if you don't even if you're struggling to believe God is real. If God is real, he's there. Very present. God may have seemed incredibly absent in these places in our lives where we're exhausted, 
convinced that it's just the mundane, one thing after another. You are there somehow, God. And so we lift these things that we can't carry forever. We lift them up to you. We've been carrying them for too long. We've been walking up a mountain with a giant boulder on our shoulder. We lift our vocation, our station in life to you. You can hold it much better than we can. Whether it's a fork in the road in our journey of where we're going, our calling, our vocation, whether it's a holding pattern, whether it's exhaustion, you know it. You know where it's going. You can hold it. Help us to release it to you and trust. And when you're ready, you can put your hands down and take a seat. And I just want to speak these words over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace.